When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Theodora Speaks is presented by the Security Industry Association's Women in Security Forum. Welcome to Theodora Speaks. I'm glad you've joined me today because after I spoke with my guest, Carla Harris, I felt invigorated. And it's just crazy that I met her now because I could have used her advice back in my 30s when I was thinking about my career and how I was going to climb the corporate ladder. She has so many pearls of wisdom that no matter what age you are and no matter where you are in your career, you're going to take something with you today from today's conversation and apply it to your life. My guest, Carla Harris, is a wife, a mother, a gospel singer, an author, And she has been a woman on Wall Street for over 30 years, and she takes leadership and defying the odds seriously and to heart. She sits on numerous boards and is a multi-award winner, including receiving an award from President Barack Obama. Listen for when Carla shares with us what gospel singing and Wall Street have in common. If you struggle with indecision in your career, I encourage you to reach out and visit gailkeller.org for more information. I just launched an online course to help you take calculated risks in your career to reinvent your professional life. And if you're anything like me, I could see what I wanted, but I I struggled with the how. How was I going to get there? And that's what I've honed in on with this digital course that I've launched over a five-pillar methodology to help you get to where you want to be. The Security Industry Association's Women in Security Forum is a group for both women and men that offers programs such as personal and professional development opportunities, networking events, with the common goal of supporting the involvement of women in the security industry. Recently, my colleague Susan K. Younger and I had the pleasure of speaking at their participation at ISC West in Las Vegas. The SIA Women in Security Forum is a true delight. They're charismatic, friendly, nurturing, respectful. They give back to their communities. They're intelligent and innovative. Their mission is to engage all security professionals to promote, recruit, and cultivate the leadership of women for a greater inclusive and diversified industry. For more information, visit securityindustry.org. Carla, you've spent over 30 years on Wall Street, including being the vice chairwoman at Morgan Stanley, and you've won numerous awards, including the Leitare Medalist Award from Notre Dame. You're also a gospel singer, and you empower women to follow their career aspirations. Carla, in your own words, please describe yourself. Oh, well, I am a career Wall Street veteran, and I'm also a gospel singer. I'm an author. I'm a mother. I'm a wife. Um, I am a philanthropist, and I'm someone who absolutely loves being able to help people get theirs, whatever theirs happens to be. If we were to talk to your mom, 
how would she describe you? <laughs> she would probably say, Carla never stops, because that's what she used to say all the time about me. And it's so funny, Gail, that she would say something like that, because uh, she used to say, Carla, don't you ever stop? Carla, don't you ever take a break? And, and, and finally, I looked at her and I said, Ma, you created this monster. Right, because I grew up when my mother was a career woman. She was a wife, she was a mother, she was very involved in the community. She had her own avocations that she was passionate about. And she was the person in the neighborhood that all the kids came to talk to about their future and their career or whatever queries they happen to have. So she too had this thing for wanting to help people clarify their vision, give them the tools, the connections that they needed to take things to the next step. So I now see very clearly where I got that from. Right. And in a good way, they say the apple doesn't fall far. So that's pretty awesome. Yes. Sounds like she's a very inspiring woman and someone that has inspired you to be the go-getter that you are and leaving no your question. mark. No question. And she's the one that created the vision for me that as a woman, you really could have it all. You know, at, at one of the things that really grates on my ear, Gail, is to hear a senior woman say, oh, no, 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 you can't have it all. You can't have it all. Or you can have it all, but at different times. And I did not grow up with their vision. So I did not think that there were any limitations uh, because you were a woman in terms of what you wanted to do, that it was more, more a function of your decisions and your intentionality. And I got that because I was watching her as I grew up. So Carla, taking a step back, if you were to look at your life thus far, what kind of regrets do you have? You know, I got to tell you, Gail, it's funny. That question has come up a lot. And I think as people have had an opportunity to think about their own lives, I really don't have um, any regrets. You know, if, if you push me, because I really was trying to figure out what is the thing that I would do differently. And, and I would tell you that I would play bigger. So no matter how successful you may think I have been, I will tell you that I didn't play big enough, right? And what I mean by that is, you know, and I, and I had to ask myself the question, well, if that's the case, then why did you play big enough? Because you, you go for things. And I think growing up, especially growing up black and female in the South during the 60s, 70s and early 80s, people always told you, especially people close to you, like your family always said, listen, you know, you don't have as many chances as everybody else. You know, you really got to make sure that it counts. Um, you know, people aren't going to treat you the same way if you make a mistake. And so I do think that subconsciously that probably curbed my risk appetite and made me much more cautious and careful when I did take a risk or if I took a risk or made me more careful when I got the at bat, how hard would I really swing the bat? And, and I now say that I certainly do play big now when I play uh, and I do swing hard. But as I reflected, like everybody else over the last couple of years, that would be the only thing that I would say I would do differently. I would play even bigger. Play even bigger. So then how do you recover when and if you failed? Okay, because here's what you know by now. You know that there are very few things in life that are irreparable, right? And it's not what happens you know when you fail it's about how you speak about the narrative of having failed you know what did you learn from it you know why was it worth having taken taken the risk would you do it again so it's not that you make a mistake and one of the things that i say in my speeches all the time gail is you know don't focus so much on making the mistakes and certainly don't be afraid of making a mistake because making a mistake does not make you special what makes you special is how and if you get up, 
you'd be surprised how many people allow a mistake to become an obstacle and therefore an impediment to forward motion. And failure doesn't mean that you failed. You just have to get up and try, try again. That's right. Sometimes lessons only come, knowledge only comes, experience only comes through failure. And as much as we'd like to say, oh man, couldn't, couldn't the message have been sent to me in a different way? Now I'm old enough now to know that sometimes that's the only way you get it is if it's boxed in this thing called failure. And it's so encouraging to hear that too from someone that, like you, that you know, a lot of times we just see the success of people, but we never see what's underneath that iceberg, right? And all that hard work and that hustle and the grit that goes into it. There's not one successful person that hasn't failed. Right. And, and just like you, I love to talk about, you know, there's the triumphs, but it's in those valleys that we get the lessons learned and how we come back stronger and more focused as we reposition ourselves. You sing in the Harlem choir. I love that about you. So you're this woman on Wall Street, but you're also this amazing gospel singer. Yes. yes so where did that passion it. come from? I started singing when I was about nine. And, you know, I have to credit one of my uh, classmates. And um, I used to sing all the time in class. And one day it was raining and we couldn't go out for recess. And the teacher said, let's have a talent show. And he kept kicking my desk saying, oh, you're always disturbing me singing. So get up there and sing. And, and that was the first time that I sang in public. And, you know, I haven't looked back. I've been singing ever since. And one of the reasons that I love, especially singing gospel music, is that you have the uh, opportunity, I would say, to sort of impact how somebody's thinking about a situation or feeling about a situation through the song, the, the music itself, or the way you deliver the song. And so what does gospel singing in Wall Street have in common? Uh, well, I tell you, they they both serve a, a very important purpose in our life. Obviously, gospel singing, as I said, it inspires people. It reminds people who's really in charge. Uh, it reminds people about the power of God. Um, and in Wall Street, I got to tell you, for me, it has been understanding the power of God and whose I am that has made all the difference in being able to navigate, you know, terrain that I had never seen before or to navigate tough situations or a big decision between this price and that price if you're, if you're pricing an IPO. So my faith has been right there in the center of both of those things. That's, that's where the, the integration or the overlap happens. Uh-huh. It's a little mastery under pressure there. Absolutely. So tell us about maybe a time where you persevered when others doubted you, Carla. You know, there was... Um, there was a year where I did not get promoted and I was crushed. I was really upset about that. And I thought long and hard about not coming in the next day. But instead, I put on one of my brand new St. John suits and made sure I was looking at my very best as if I was getting promoted that day and walked in anyway. And I'll never forget the guy that I was working for at the time, the look on his face when he walked in and he saw me sitting there and it was sort of like, oh my gosh, she's here? And I think he thought that not supporting me that year would be the thing that would, you know, make me quit at that point. But I said, nah, you know what? When I walk out, I'm going to I'm going to walk out on my own terms. This is just another, uh, you know, disappointment in a, in a long, successful journey. So I'll get over it. Right. And uh, I remember the look on his face. I'll never forget the look on his face. All I could think about was that old commercial. Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. So you showed up. Yeah, I was a weevil. <laughs> <laughs> and 
you know, and life went on and I got promoted out, you know, the next year. The next year, that was going to be my next question. So yeah. how long did it take? So yeah. that's, that's nothing. Yeah. And he left before I did. Uh-huh. Well, there you go. So I mentioned earlier that you received the medal of the Leitare from Notre Dame in the 2021 commencement speech. Congratulations. Thank you very much. That was such an honor. Quite the honor. And you were talking about, you know, people doubted you when you were climbing the corporate ladder, when you were growing up and even applying to Ivy League, you went to Harvard and somebody told you it was too competitive. Yep. Absolutely. About that experience. Yeah, I was uh, I was a junior and I was obviously looking at colleges at the time. And, you know, to be honest, Gail, and this is one of the things that I want to say to your listeners, especially your young listeners, you know, I didn't have any thoughts or aspirations necessarily to go to an Ivy League school at the time. I knew I was going to go to college, but it's not like at the dinner table, you know, people were saying, you're going to go to Harvard, you're going to go to Columbia, you're going to go to Yale or whatever. Um, but I went to an outstanding high school in Jacksonville, Florida, Bishop Kenny High School, and I was in honors classes and my classmates were asking each other, oh, did you uh, turn in your application to Harvard? Did you turn in your application to Princeton? You know, and I'm listening to these conversations and oh, by the way, these schools were coming to campus to recruit. And I remember going to the guidance counselor at the time and I said, you know, listen, I wanna go to the, you know, Cornell, um, presentation or I want to go to this presentation. And he said, well, you know, listen, don't spend your time with those Ivy League schools. It's really difficult to get in. It's really hard. And I said, well, but why not? He said, well, it's really difficult. Don't worry about it. Just apply to a college, apply to the Florida schools. You'll get in a good school. Trust me, you'll go to college. But they take one in 10 out, out of these Ivy League schools. And I said, well, what does it take? And he said, it takes good grades. You have to be involved in things. I had a 4.0 I was involved in a number of different things on campus. I had great SAT scores. So I heard him. But as you probably know about me, Gail, I am negatively motivated. So when you tell me I can't do something, I'm all over it. Mm -hmm. And so I did exactly what he told me to do. I applied to all the Florida schools that he suggested, but I also applied to all the Ivy League schools that I wanted to apply to, and I got into them all. And so one of the things I say to young, young people is don't count yourself out. And for Pete's sake, don't let anybody else count you out. What you say in your book about that, facing your fear and to never count yourself out. That's right. And, you know, fear can rear its ugly head in many different forms, especially for women, right? That's exactly right. Something I've noticed, I'm a woman in tech, Carla, and what I've noticed is women don't pay it forward enough. So what do I mean by that? Mentors and sponsors, and we'll talk a little bit more about that and what you have to say in your book, but you are someone that truly naturally, authentically pays it forward. You know, because none of us makes it on our own, Gail, at the end of the day. And, you know, there were people who were consciously there for me. There were people who were, you know, unconsciously there. When I say unconsciously there, they, they didn't start off saying, I'm definitely going to support Carla Harris. But in the moment at that time, you know, they did. And none of us should have to go through tough times if there's somebody there who can give us a bit of a playbook. And so my thought is why not? Why not help somebody else accelerate their success? We're all gonna hit a wall at some point, but boy, I sure want you to be much further down the road when you hit your wall than when I hit mine, because if we're all hitting the wall at the same time, it's gonna take us all a very long time to get to wherever we're going. Why not help somebody accelerate that? And I try my best to encourage people um, in telling them this truth, that you get more power when you give it away. 
And the more you're giving away your power and empowering other people, by definition, the more powerful you become. So even if you don't do it because it's the right thing, you want to do it because it's a selfish thing. Well, there, right there is your selfish reason to do it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and that negative energy won't get you anywhere. No, it never does. In fact, it impedes you. It will stop you at some point and it'll stop you at a point that you don't want it to stop you. Agreed. So on behalf of all the women out there climbing the ladder, thank you for paying it forward. Yeah. So you wrote a letter to your 25 year old self and I know it's, it's uh, reincarnated itself uh, at a Ted talk and in, in your book, you mentioned it, but you talk about being fearless and don't dim your light, take risks, own your power. So tell us, tell our listeners about that letter because I just yeah. love it. Yes, Ed, thank you so much. I'll tell you, there is wisdom that comes with getting a little bit more seasoned, not older. And some of the things that I say in that letter is number one, own your power. I started my career at 24 years old, Gail, and even at 24, I had power. So anybody who's just starting out in their career who just got their first job, please know you have power because you have earned that offer. Nobody gave it to you. And so right there, you have power in your ability to learn quickly, power in your energy and your youth. You have power in your ability to ask questions. You have power in your ability to exercise your voice. You have power, but you give it away when you allow somebody to make you doubt whether or not you should have gotten that opportunity or whether you're good enough for that opportunity. And so please, please, please don't fall prey to any kind of imposter syndrome. The reason you got the opportunity is somebody saw that you could make rain make rain. The second thing I say is that, you know, it's don't dim your light for somebody else's convenience. And the articles that you used to read about women, especially 10 years ago, 15 years ago, is that so many women would make themselves smaller in a room in order to not antagonize somebody else or to not draw attention to themselves so that somebody would come for them. Well, you know, as, as a black woman and a woman of a certain size, I can never make myself smaller. <laughs> you see me coming before I get there, right? Um, and a lot of times the reason why people are pushing you to submerge your voice or to get smaller is that they see your light. Mm -hmm. They see you coming and they see your power before you even own it yourself. And I also talk about in that letter, if from a personal side, if you meet somebody that thinks you're too much for them, then they're right. Don't spend your time trying to justify that you deserve to be with that person, that you're not so big or so powerful after all. You know, it's an insult to him or whoever you call the, the, the greater one. It's an insult to him who gave you the light. So don't dim it. So we could go on and on about that, but those are a few of the important ones. Yes, I love the one you say about, you know, finding your partner. My dad would say, oh, when it didn't work out when I was dating, you dodged a bullet. Yeah, <laughs> your dad was right. He's, yeah. or like I used to say, that was somebody else's blessing. It wasn't yours. <laughs> so speaking of all the wisdom, you wrote a book, Strategize to Win, mm -hmm. and it is chock full of nuggets. I love to get the book, write in it. I've dog-eared amazing things. And we could talk about this all day, right? I have to commend you on the pearls, Carla's pearls. And the most important one out of that book was, in my opinion, was the performance currency and the relationship currency. Um, because, you know, as women and certainly people of color, we are 
taught to focus on the deliverable. Make sure your work is right. It's beyond reproach. You know, nobody can debate how good your work is. It's black and it's white. But the, the fact of the matter is, Gail, as you get more senior in any organization, it is not black and white. It is gray. And the relationships are all in the gray. And it doesn't matter how good your work is when you're in those senior roles or you're trying to break through into the top ranks. Somebody has to be in that room speaking on your behalf. And if you have not invested in those relationships, people don't know you well enough to spend their currency. And you're not in that room when those decisions are being made. Somebody has to spend that currency and that's the sponsor. And I've seen so many women get there, so many people of color get there and they can't push through because they haven't invested in those relationships. Mm -hmm. I can't agree more. And I, I coach women on empowering themselves to reinvent their professional lives. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until my thirties, Carla, that I understood what a sponsor was. Ah, mm -hmm. I always had mentors, but I didn't have sponsors until my thirties. And I wished I would have known that out of the gate. Yes. Yes. Well, I've been talking about it since 1990. That's the first time that I coined the word sponsor. At that point, Gail, I was a third year associate and people were talking about champions and advocates. It was 1990, but nobody was using the word sponsor. But by then I had realized that that's what that person was because popular business press had been talking about mentors, 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 but they had not talked about this concept of somebody being behind closed doors, using their currency on your behalf. And by then I had figured out that that's how it happened. It didn't matter how good the work was. If somebody wasn't putting that work in context among decision makers, it didn't matter. Right. And so you needed to invest in that relationship. And that was much bigger than the mentor. And the other thing is that back then, popular business press was talking about a mentor, but they didn't tell you the difference between the mentor and the sponsor. And in my mind, the mentor is the person you tell the good, the bad and the ugly to. So you must know them. They must know you very well. You must trust them and they must understand your context in order to give you advice that you can successfully execute. But the sponsor doesn't know. You don't want them thinking about the good, the bad, and the ugly. You want them focused on the good, the good, and the good. Because you don't want them polluted with the bad and the ugly if they have to spend your capital, their capital on you behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it wasn't until my 30s that my career really took off because of those sponsors. And so I, I love what you're saying about spending the currency. And they see the good. And then they internally promote you and vouch for you, right? It's their reputation on the line. You got that right. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that's why it's so important to have a personal brand that is strong. Mm. I don't normally use the word brand, to be honest, Gail, um, because for me, that word connotes something that you create. And I'm a big proponent of authenticity. I And I say it every time I have an opportunity to speak in front of a group of people, your authenticity is your distinct competitive advantage. Nobody can be you the way that you can be you. So that is your edge. And you want your authenticity to be consistent with what's ever valued in that culture. And so you should know what are the key success factors? What are the three adjectives that characterize a superstar in the seat that you are choosing to sit in? And then you note those things that are authentic about your yourself and where those things overlap, that's the behavior that you want to be consistent in that, in that environment. That's what you want people to say about you when you are not in the room.
well, Carla, I may have to embrace that authenticity and rebrand my personal branding. <laughs> okay. Tell our listeners how they could get a sponsor. Mm-hmm. Okay. The way you get a sponsor is as follows. Number one, study your environment for two weeks and you want to note the following. Who are the people that have a seat at the decision-making table? Number two, who are the people that do not have a seat at the decision-making table, but they are key influencers to those people who have a seat at that table? And number three, who are the toxic people? Because you want to know that as well, because those relationships are key in, in understanding how you manage those. Now, once you have figured out who has a seat at the table, now you want to ask yourself, who of those people who have a seat at the table or those key influencers, who has visibility into my work? because your sponsor, remember, has to pound the table on your behalf behind closed doors, which means they must have some visibility into your work. If everybody knows I don't work with Gail and I go into the room and I'm pounding the table for Gail, I'll have no credibility in that room because everybody knows I don't work with her, right? So they must have some visibility into your work. You don't have to report to them, but they must have some kind of visibility into your work. And then lastly, now you ask yourself, of the people who have a seat at the table and that have visibility into my work, who can I spend some time investing in? Let me get two people off that list and start spending more time building a relationship. And the way that you build a relationship with anybody is just frequency of touch. Going back to the book, Positioning Yourself for Success, there's a chapter on that, Carla. Mm -hmm. And you recommend to people to not just take a job simply to get your foot in the door. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. I'm a big fan of knowing exactly why you are doing what you are doing. And the reason why that's so important, Gail, is that sometimes when people take a job just to, quote, get their foot in the door, they haven't thought about how do people move within that organization. So I'll take investment banking, for example. Somebody takes a job, let's say, um, in, in operations which is a very important job in any financial services company. But then they say, I'm just gonna take this job in operations because I really wanna get to M&A and I'll work my way into M&A. But there, if there is no precedence within that organization for somebody moving from operations to M&A, it is highly unlikely that you will get that opportunity in M&A because there's no precedence for that. So it doesn't matter how smart you are unless something inordinate or extraordinary happens that connection is not going to happen because that's not how people move within the organization. So you want to be intentional about how you enter any organization and you want to understand while you're interviewing, how do people move within that organization so you can have, you can be clear about what might transpire for you when you go there. The other reason you want to be careful about why you take a job is not for this job, honey, it's for the next one. Right, because now somebody's gonna look at your resume and they're gonna say, so why did you take that job in blah, blah? And it's never a good answer to say, I just needed a job. That's not gonna bode well. You also wrote about knowing when it's time to make a change. Mm -hmm. and sometimes, right, the fear sets in, so people are apprehensive to make the change or they're surviving, but not thriving, right? So they don't, they're fearful of changing anything because what if it doesn't work out, for example? That's right. So, you know, what advice would you give to our listeners with respect to making a change? Yes. So here's the thing. I'm a big fan of having an agenda. And it's the only concept that I repeat in, in both expect to win and strategize to win. An agenda has two pieces. 
the seat and the house. The seat is the job that you're doing, and there are questions that inform your decision to take the seat. What kind of skills do I want to get? What kind of experiences do I want to have? What kind of people do I want to meet? Where would I like to go from this seat? What do I think it will lead me to? Those are decisions around the seat. The next piece of the agenda is the house. The house is where you're prosecuting the seat. Now, the questions that inform your decision to go to that house, what kind of people do I want to meet? What kind of network do I want to build? What kind of career trajectory do I want to have? What kind of platform do I want to sit in? Can I get sponsors in that house? Are there opportunities for that? Are there opportunities to move to steepen my career trajectory? If the answer is all affirmative on those fronts, then that's the right house. Now, you will know when it's time to, to leave when you're not firing on all cylinders. Now you go back to your seat. You say, have I fully prosecuted the seat? If you've gotten everything you want to get out of that seat, it is time to change that seat. And you may be able to change the seat within the house. Let's say you're in the right seat, but now you ask questions uh, because the house has changed, the leadership has changed, and you say, hmm, are their values still aligned with mine? Do I still have a steep career trajectory? Do I like the platform I'm sitting on? Do I have a sponsor? Can I get a sponsor? Do I have a respected voice in this environment? If the answer is no, then you know you're in the right seat, i.e. the right job, but it's time to change the house. If the answer is yes, you're in the right seat and you're in the right house, but you're still feeling like you're not firing on all cylinders, now it's easy to diagnose the problem. That means it's a person that is confounding your success. And now it's time to remind yourself there isn't a person born that you can't get around. And if you're feeling stuck under one person, that is your wake-up call that you haven't been investing in the relationships. And remember this last thing, Gail, your performance creates the opportunity for you to move, but it's your relationships that drive your mobility. So true. It's that currency coming back. That's right. I love your book so much that I'm writing a book, Carla, oh. women in steam, and they all take on, you know, the industry and they all have different ethnicities and there's lessons learned for themselves as well for men too. Oh. And I love your pearls so much that I'm taking some tangible takeaways from each chapter, but each of my characters recommends a book and I'm recommending your book. Oh, well, I thank you very much. I appreciate that. So yes, I think it's a must read no matter your age, because for me, career reinvention and you call it repositioning has no age limitations. We should always be reinventing and repositioning ourselves. So let's talk about career repositioning Mm -hmm. and why you don't like to call it reinvention, because Mm -hmm. that's what I call it. Well, and here's why I don't like calling it reinvention is because it, it, for me, it sounds as if you are leaving behind all those things that you've already done, right? And in fact, I think those things that you have already done are the things that provide leverage for you in the new thing, right? Because it's not that you haven't done the new thing before, who cares? It's what's important to the buyer, the person that is buying you into this new opportunity, What's important to the buyer, frankly, is whether you understand the key success factors of this new thing and why you would be good in this new thing. So you need all the things that you have done before to connect the dots between what you have done before and how they are going to inform your success in this new thing. That's why I don't like calling it reinventing. reinvention. In my mind, it's the evolution of who you are as a professional. It is you now 2.0, or in my case, you 3.0, 
right? So that's how I, I want to encourage people to think about it. And the other reason, Gail, is that so many people are intimidated or afraid, frankly, of trying to do something new because they said, I've, in your case, I've been in technology for 20 years. How is anybody going to accept me into healthcare? Or how would anybody believe that I can be a TV producer? Or how would anybody think I can do consumer products? Right, because they're convincing themselves, I've been doing this for 20 years, I can't do anything else without focusing on all the things you've learned in technology, how to pivot quickly, how to innovate, how to use resources effectively, how to collaborate, partner with people, all the things you've had to do in technology, how to fail fast. Well, I can't think of one industry where, frankly, that is not applicable. So it, your ability to get this new thing would be how you speak about the narrative of what you've already done. So why reinvent it when you can leverage it? Reposition, okay, well, you're giving me something to think about because in my experience, the reinvention to me is you start from the experience. So all, everything you have, but then you kind of pivot, you take it with you to all your points, right? Mm -hmm. But you can go try something new with all the other tools in your arsenal, in your toolbox that you haven't sharpened yet, but they mm -hmm. are solid skills. Mm -hmm. Okay. Just a choice of words between us. But I love it, you know, so I, I had to ask you about it because it, it stood out to me in a good way to ask you that question. So as we conclude, what advice do you have regarding how to market yourself during a long hiatus? Mm. Oh, very good. So, and I talk about that in Strategize to Win. Usually in a long hi hiatus, you've been spending time doing something. So you have volunteered at your kid's school. Maybe you've been a full-time mom or a full-time dad. You may have read a whole bunch of books. Uh, you may have learned to play golf. You may have taken up, you know, you, you might have sharpened your technology skills. So it's not that you took the hiatus. The question is, what did you do with the hiatus? And what did you learn? Like one of the examples I use in Strategize to Win is a stay-at-home mom. Maybe you stayed at home for a decade, but guess what? You probably volunteered at your kid's school um, and you probably led a committee. So here you were now leading and managing people that did not report to you. That takes a special skill, for example. Um, maybe you went and read every day for three years at your kid's you know, uh, first grade through third grade. Well, guess what? Getting you know, second graders and third graders and first graders excited about anything, that takes a skill because they're not polite. They give it to you straight, no chaser. So knowing how to capture that attention, well, if you can capture their attention, you just might know how to capture a new audience, for example, and convince them of something. You may have learned about telling a story. So it's what did you do with that and how are you going to tell the story about your decision to do that and now why you are choosing to re-engage in the workforce. So it's really about the narrative and your intentionality and understanding, again, that which you're going to and connecting those dots. Yes. Couldn't agree more. You know, this is all about the storytelling. And, you know, if you are a stay-at-home mom, you're running a household, so you must understand operations, Amen. right? Can you multitask? Are you yep. being a good wife, mother, right? Are you keeping the house clean and food on the table? So I'd be remiss, Carla, not to go back to the career uh, repositioning. You just took a reposition in your career, if I'm not mistaken. That's exactly right. And again, I would I would say that it was an evolution again, right? Because 
Um, and if you want to say it's a repositioning, you, you can say it's a repositioning more as a board director. So I did step down as vice chairman and manager director at Morgan Stanley, but I still am engaged with the firm as I host my own podcast. And we'll have to talk to you about that, uh, or award-winning podcast, as I'd like to say, because we won our first Webby last year, uh, Access and Opportunity. And I'm still involved with the Next Level Fund and the Multicultural Innovation Lab. So I still have some remit back to the firm, but I wanted to free up some time to do more corporate board work. I would I had the honor of being invited onto the Walmart board in 2017 and the honor of being invited to the Cummins board uh, in 2021. And I love, love, love board work. Um, and it's an opportunity to use all of the skills that I've acquired after over 30 years on Wall Street, you know, to think strategically, to think about people, to think about innovation, you know, to help other leaders lead uh, in, the, in their capacity um, as senior leaders at these organizations. So it's just really exciting work for me and I want to do more of it. So your work is not done and this is oh, so exciting. And congrats on that Webby. That's huge. Thank you. Thank you. I am so excited about that. And we just won an Anthem Award. And as you know, the Webby's just started Anthem Awards, which are around impact. Um, and we won three this year, not only for the Multicultural Innovation Lab, uh, not only for the podcast, but also for Holidays in Harlem, which was our Christmas show we had been doing at the Apollo for the last two years, we actually, we went virtual in 21 and 20, and we just won an Anthem Award for our virtual concert. So you know Carla the singer, let alone Carla the podcaster, was too happy about that. That's amazing. And let's talk about Carla the fashion icon, because, what? yeah, you look amazing right now, but in that holiday on Harlem, that outfit was to die for. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I, I've been blessed by some amazing dressmakers. And, you know, this year, uh, because it was virtual again, you know, I, I was able to get something that was in my closet, believe it or not, that I had never worn that I was because of my focus on uh, physical health, I was able to get into that dress. <laughs> Good. That's a huge, that's huge in and of itself. But yeah, your hair was amazing too, by the thank way. You. Thank so, you very much. I appreciate that. Yes. So the last question I have for you, Carla, is tell us something that no one knows about you. Oh, I, I don't think I can tell you something that no one knows, but I can tell you something that very few people know. And that is that I am a hamburger fanatic. I love hamburgers. And my husband, by the way, makes the best burgers known to man. I call him Victor Burgers because that's his name. But I'm, I am a... Big fan of a good burger, honey. What do you put on it? Uh, well, he makes these special onions that has this special barbecue sauce on it. So the burger is spicy. Um, and the one of the key ingredients, and he'll kill me if he knew I was telling this, he likes to use those bread and butter pickles on it that gives it a little sweet and sour going on at the same time. And he uses an oversized English muffin. So I don't want to give away all his secrets, but those are some of the differentiators. Well, thank you for sharing uh, not only the burger that you love, but your story and just your amazing personality and the mark you're leaving in this world is phenomenal. So thank you for being here and thank you for everything you continue to do, Carla. My pleasure and thank you for having me and congratulations to you and the mark that you're making in the world, Ms. Gail. So go get them, honey. Good luck on the book. Okay, was I right? Do you also feel invigorated? Isn't 
Carla a breath of fresh air and someone that you want to invite to your dinner, your next dinner party? A special thank you to Carla for sharing her pearls of wisdom with us today. A thank you to you for tuning in and listening to the conversation. And a thank you to New Voice Studios for producing this podcast. The three key takeaways from today's conversation with Carla are, in order to play big in life, you can have it all. It's just a function of all your decisions. Number two, pay it forward. Become a mentor and a sponsor and help other qualified women rise in the ranks. You get more power when you give it away. That is a quote from Carla. And lastly, there are two types of currency sponsors, performance and relationship sponsors. You need to know the difference and have them both in order to help you excel and advance your career. Please visit gailkeller.org and sign up for my newsletters for more information. Thank you and stay courageous. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.